If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be poisonously petrifying. And here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to what ideas created the legend of the basilisk. And how can we turn these legends into a monster hunt adventure? And what details will make the horrific elements pop? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. We've got a quick announcement before we get into the meat of this episode. And that is that the next episode isn't going to come out until April 3rd. So we're going to play a little game called Why the Break? Is it A. Jordan is undergoing psychological testing. They told him it was telekinesis training. B. Travis is building an actual castle with his hands and rocks. (laughs) Or is it C. Hook and Chance is going through an evolution and lots of work needs to be done. So you got to listen to the end to find out. You know, we'll give you a rundown of what we've got planned at the end of the episode. That's what we're trying to say. So let's dive into basilisks. Basilisks are awesome. I mean, the reason that we're doing this episode on basilisks is because I think that they're just a really fascinating piece of folklore and history and the ideas that brought about this weird combination of animals that can turn you to stone with a gaze that gets me that hooks me and that's fair it should that's cool sounding except for the fact that it's another save or suck monster which is so frustrating why travis tell me why let's drag this all the way back i i did i remember the last time i tried to run a basilisk and i had a bunch of third level players go into a dungeon and there they found a basilisk and without thoroughly kind of comprehending what this monster really was all about i just i was looking for a similar level like you know kind of like you do you look for something with a challenge rating that suits your party and then you throw it at them and you quickly realize as its gaze starts freezing one of your players you're like oh shit i didn't plan for this i did a bad i didn't realize how quickly this happened (laughs) one shot kill yeah and then you've got this issue of unless you're really familiar with how the game is supposed to go you as a player have this frozen character now what do i do do i roll a new character right do i wait for you guys to find a healer two cities over that's going to be able to un basiliskify me Well, and that's the problem. Like, who knows? Do I roleplay as a stone? Well, really, you've got a player now in this weird purgatory limbo state, and you can just tell Kevin to fuck off for a couple of sessions because (laughs) his character is a chunk of stone that the rest of the characters have to lug around, and and now they got to figure out where to get a cart to lug around this statue until they can eventually find someone with access to a fifth level restoration spell it's a pain in the ass (laughs) yeah and and really the basilisk has always just kind of struck me as like you did a creature to jam in a corner somewhere where you need to drag out 
the game was some combat. But they can be more. They could be so much more. They could be rich, and we can lean on some of the lore, and then we can figure out how to make sure that it's not just save or suck, how there's a little bit more nuance to it, a little bit more interest for the players, something more to do. And we'll figure out how to do that, starting in the Archives of the Ancients. This is the Archives of the Ancients, where knowledge is unearthed to add wild insights to our world. So the legend of the basilisk goes all the way back to Pliny the Elder. According to the Naturalist Historia of Pliny the Elder, the basilisk of Cyrene is a small snake, being not more than 12 inches in length, that is so venomous that it leaves a wide trail of deadly venom in its wake, and its gaze is likewise lethal. So first of all, it sounds like Pliny was really quite into the nature, because he clearly documented creatures that actually existed and didn't just make some shit up totally so you're saying that he also did real animals like he's got an entry of bear and then right next to that is an entry of <laughs> basilisk yeah i feel like he's after like the exclusive animals like you won't find animals <laughs> anywhere else other than in Pliny's naturalist historia i i really like what he did though because he kind of just Fake it till you make it. <laughs> and what he faked was an, an entire encyclopedia that for some reason everybody trusted. Yeah, right. And it was one of those things where like you needed to have the bear and the jaguar and the lion <laughs> so that you could get away with and people would just yeah. assume because like, well, 80% I know about. Yeah, he must know what he's talking about. What blows my mind about this whole thing is that this became the foundation of the entire concept of an encyclopedia was Pliny's work. That's some wild shit. And his quotes are pretty fun too, because you got stuff like, when I have observed nature, she has always induced me to deem no statement about her incredible. Which means that he kind of just jammed anything in that book. Any weird rumor that somebody brought to him, he would just take it at face value. Yeah. He was a very gullible man. And his unending curiosity about the natural world is actually what led to his death because he went to investigate an odd cloud of smoke that turned out to be Vesuvius. <laughs> so he just... Whoops. <laughs> oh, man. I feel a little bad laughing so hard at man who just had curiosity about yeah. nature and wanted to go investigate what the hell that was. This must be the basis for D&D's Volo. Oh, interesting. Yeah interesting theory but you really can't blame him for being too out there because plato was busy creating ideas like the commission theory or i-beams as the common folk might call it okay <laughs> you're gonna have to extrapolate on i-beams well it's what it sounds like the concept is that a light shines from the eyes letting us see this explains things like why animals that can see in the dark like cats have glowing eyes or why when you squint you can focus your eye beams and things come into focus. Okay, so like we owe beholders to Plato. Yeah, and uh, Medusas. Ah, yes. Okay. So yeah, they legit did think that like eye beams were a thing. Yeah. And that some eye beams would do more damage than other eye beams. Right. This was just common knowledge. Everyone's got eye beams. Some of them are dangerous. What are you going to do? 
But if we bring it back to reality a bit, it's thought that the cobra was a foundation for a lot of the myths around the basilisk. See, this makes sense to me. You know, you got cobras that kind of like they rise up and they spit and that spit can certainly poison you. So I could see how you could extrapolate upon that. You know, when you get back to town, you know, a snake, when everyone else is talking about like cyclopses roaming the countryside, <laughs> you can't just bring back a story about a snake. You got to extrapolate it into a basilisk that turned your friend to stone. Yeah, let's spruce this up a bit. And keeping in mind, this was before any knowledge of venom was common, I'm sure. Right. Like a snake spits you in the eyes and makes you <laughs> feel real bad. Right. <laughs> You're going to assume that's magic. So there's a couple of places that I think we can turn to to dredge up some more inspiration for this. Uh, let's start with the snake. Right. So obviously there's unlimited types of snakes, pretty much. You got specifically cobras. You got king cobras, tree-dwelling cobras, false water cobras. And that definitely makes me think that, like, I can add a little more pizzazz to my types of basilisks. Where I put them. You know, my first thought is, of course, you go cave, you throw a basilisk in it. But why can't basilisks exist in so many other places? Then you got the fact that, like, if we're equating snake venom with the turning to stone that the legends say, you got lots to pull on there. All of the different types of toxins that are in snake venoms. You got ones that attack the cells, some that attack nerves and probably cause intense, insane pain. And you got some that attack the heart and the muscles. So all of this, you're going to have blurred vision, extreme pain, vertigo, drowsiness, paralysis in there. We can definitely lean on some of that to give more stages to the effects that a basilisk has. And we mentioned snakes spitting their venom. That's absolutely true. Some cobras can spit their venom up to six feet causing blindness in their prey and predators. So I could definitely see a basilisk is waiting to see the whites of your eyes before getting you with a blast right in the face. Yeah. And then we also discovered that in Thailand, there's a concoction of turmeric root that has been clinically shown to create a strong resilience against the venom of the king cobra when ingested, which immediately leads us to think, how do we give our players something to stave off the effects of a basilisk's petrifying gaze. Right. You could have it be something they figure out beforehand and kind of like the Witcher style. You drink it before you get into a basilisk fight to lessen the effects. Or you drink it after you get hit to try and save yourself. Well, I really like the after you get hit because that means that we've turned this from a two-round, you're dead, basically, to, holy shit, you know, this is bad, but I have a way forward. Yeah. Cobras can also lay 21 to 40 leathery eggs. Ew. Yeah. I, something kind of sicks me out about just leather eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there's something kind of gross about that, because I know that they're slimy. they got to be slimy. We need a whole clutch. We need to figure out a way to work in basilisk young. Absolutely, because that's just one of those like horrific moments when you realize that there's all kinds of skittering babies around. That's yeah. not fun. Yeah. And I think we should work in the King Cobra's hood. 
because I'm ignorant. I didn't know this. That thing is actually ribs and they use it to intimidate their predators. That also kind of sicks me out because yeah, just this whole like unfurling. Yeah, there's something <laughs> something like not okay lot. there. And I definitely think that a basilisk can do some kind of like metamorphosis yeah. when it's about to hit you with its eye beams because that as well is really really handy for signing to our players and giving them something to react to rather than just like you're in the range of a basilisk you're frozen yeah start making saves like everybody <laughs> everyone at the table go ahead start saving because you're all about to get tpk'd right that's fun rather than hey you know something's unfurling those that are curious are going to stick around and like lock their eyes right on the basilisk and make sure to get the full effect of the eye beams but then the really clever ones are going to take some cover and maybe avoid it and maybe start taking shots and that's kind of the direction i'm leaning with this is like as it unfurls and, and rises to its full horrific height you're not going to know where the actual basilisk starts and its intimidation display ends right then you mentioned the turmeric root concoction but i think there's also some potential for like a full-on cure you know anti-venom for snake venom is made from getting healthy folks a little sick then stealing their good blood stuff that they make i feel bad for anybody that signs up for that volunteer job <laughs> well i didn't want to mention it but i think they do it to cows or something sad like oh. that <laughs> that's that is horrible <laughs> make cows sick okay oh but yes, I do think that there is something that we can work into a game with a basilisk that has our players or someone nearby having to, I don't know, ingest some of this venom. Is it venom? Anti-venom. Anti-venom. Makes the venom go away. No, I, I okay, I get that. <laughs> but like we've discussed that the basilisk has eye rays. How do you slightly ingest? I don't know how exactly how you ingest, but I think it's cool that like, you would have to make an anti-venom out of somebody that's been affected and is on their way to dying. Oh my God, <laughs> that got so bad so quick. Sorry. Holy shit. You're not uh, you're not uh, pulling your punches. No, so like the first party member gets hit and is like, hey, uh, <laughs> so I need, <laughs> I need you to also get hit so I can steal your fresh blood. Wow. <laughs> okay. We're going to park that for now. <laughs> All right, so our second inspiration then. This is a quick one, but needs to be mentioned here. Stone Man Disease, or for the smart folk out there, Fibrodysplasia ossificans progressiva. It's a mouthful. Pretty, I think I nailed it. That's a condition where connective tissue, like muscles, tendons, and ligaments, turn into bone tissue. Which is absolutely horrifying. It truly is. Fortunately, it's incredibly rare, but it's basically a gene mutation that affects the body's repair mechanism. Essentially, when the bodies repair these tissues, it does it with bone instead of the proper tissue, which is really interesting to apply to fantasy gameplay. Horrifying in real life, interesting in fantasy gameplay. Right, but like it's such a good way to hinder characters that are subjected to the basilisk eye rays is that they're not just immediately turned to stone, but then getting hurt by their claws and their teeth 
causes petrification in the targeted areas. See, and this gives so much more kind of realism and, uh, you know, just something to draw on when trying to explain why somebody is turning to stone. You know, it, it gives, well, to use a triple word score, verisimilitude to these kind of effects, these kind of attacks. And to me, it really just helps explain why this monster has claws and teeth if it can turn you to stone. Why wouldn't it just be a squishy little orb that I raise you to death? Fair enough. And then we've got the actual... And for our third inspiration, we've actually got the Legends of the Basilisk, which we'll rip through a couple here because they're pretty fun. I'd say they come from a lot of rooster-based panic. <laughs> Is there a lot of rooster-based panic? Apparently there was in the early days when they thought that monsters were real. Like this, for example, contained in a book titled The Criminal Prosecution and Capital Punishment of Animals. Okay. Which is a <laughs> wild collection. Uh, in 1474, an old rooster was found laying an egg. The bird was captured, tried, and convicted of an unnatural act. <laughs> All right, fair. The punishment they decided on was burning alive before which they cut it open and found more eggs in there. Oh, for Christ's sakes. Like, I have no idea what the reality was there, yeah. but I can guarantee they had it wrong. What a wild day that they, was for the town. Though. And that rooster, so confused. <laughs> and I like how that's so offensive that they decided to burn it alive. Like, why couldn't you just be like, oh, okay. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like, part of this panic was like, oh, no, that rooster had sex with a snake, and that's why it's laying eggs, and it's probably going to turn into... It's making an abomination. Yeah, yeah, because some of the lore is about those wild combinations like you're talking about. Which is where we get some of the original interpretations of what a basilisk looked like, and also what a cockatrice looked like, because they always were kind of like snake-headed, rooster-headed things. You know, they were a weird mishmash of the two creatures. Yeah, which... I just want to point out that they think that those monsters were a combination of a rooster and a snake or lizard in most situations. Well, Travis and I googled featherless chicken. <laughs> and if I didn't know what a featherless chicken looked like, I would assume that's a snake body or a lizard body. Yeah, and again, some poor featherless chicken probably got killed so many times. Like, those yeah. They committed no crime <laughs> other than just being sick or something. But moving on. So in 1202, a mysterious case of fainting fits was traced back to a basilisk hiding in a well. False. <laughs> We've established that as much as Pliny wanted there to be a basilisk, there was no basilisk. <laughs> they don't exist. So <laughs> don't you believe in magic, Travis? Traced it back to the basilisk. <laughs> Using scientific methods. Turns out the basilisk was dead in the well, but the folks that found it still called themselves basilisk hunters and erected a statue to commemorate their great job. Holy shit, they just threw one lie after another. <laughs> Not only was there no... Like, again, how did they claim their reward if they... So they found a basilisk. Yeah. What the fuck was it? What did they find? They fished some slimy creature out of the well. It was a drowned cat that <laughs> fell in the well. And they were like holding that thing aloft or, you know, probably a featherless chicken. Yeah. Maybe both. And that's why they got so confused. <laughs> 
But then we've got the 1587 Warsaw Basilisk, which is the most legendary among them. This one starts with two kids playing around where they shouldn't, the spooky old house at the end of a deserted lane. Their mother and nursemaid went looking for them, and this must have been a pretty regular hangout because they went looking in this home cellar, where they saw the two kids lying motionless. So the mother sends the nursemaid down to see what happened, and watched in horror as she sank down beside the kids completely done for. So of course she sounds the alarm. Naturally, the next step is the Senate's emergency meeting, where they decided to take action. Step one, pull the bodies out with long, hooked sticks. Okay, so I can probably pretty easily explain this. This sounds like a case of, like, low-lying sour gas or something like that, like H2S that just causes people to suffocate. I've heard of this before. Like, this actually does happen. But, but it was a basilisk, Travis. It was definitely a basilisk. Yep. Mom saw the nursemaid collapse, so definitely also saw the giant <laughs> rooster-headed lizard that froze them totally at the same time. And then they looked at the bodies, which revealed the horror that lurked below. They presented a horrid appearance, being swollen like drums and with much discolored skin. The eyes protruded from the sockets like the halves of hen's eggs. Ah! God, that's gross. Nasty business. That is terrible. I feel so bad for those poor folks. And the town doctor, being familiar with the works of Pliny, said basilisk for sure. <laughs> okay, we're back to the bat shit. Thanks, Doc. I'm glad you've definitely seen the work of basilisks before because they're very real. Absolutely. So the town decides to look for a brave volunteer. Nobody's stepping forward, obviously. So they have to send a convicted criminal down to do their dirty work. Kate, okay, we're back to the sad where they're sending criminals down. <laughs> they made a deal. He was going to be off the hook if he lived. So yeah, they sent him down and Forer was dressed in creaking black leather covered with a mass of tinkling mirrors and his eyes were protected with large eyeglasses. <laughs> the sight of this already. <laughs> Armed with a sturdy rake in his right hand and a blazing torch in his left. He must have presented a singular aspect when venturing forth into the cellar. He was cheered on by at least 2,000 people who had wow. gathered to see the basilisk being beaten to death. <laughs> okay. After searching the cellar for more than an hour, the brave Johann Faurer finally saw the basilisk lurking in a niche of the wall. He snatched it with his rake. And the populace ran away like rabbits when he appeared in his strange outfit, gripping the neck of the writhing basilisk with the rake. Okay, so we're back to batshit. <laughs> Who's got this basilisk? Where is it? It must have been saved or preserved because that's incredible. You that think? They found an imaginary creature. Yeah, which again was a sick chicken dangling <laughs> from a rake. Just beating this shit out of sick chickens left and right. But the doctor points out that it had the head of a cock, the eyes of a toad, a crest like a crown, a warty and scaly skin covered all over with the hue of venomous animals, and a curved tail bent over behind its body. None of which is obviously true. Well, not to the people standing in the back, but they just heard the doctor's... <laughs> Well, my my view back here is really obscured. What is that? Oh, it looks like that? Cool. And so it's assumed they conked it on the noggin and life went back to normal. Another version of this story claims that the mirrors turned the basilisk to stone, but that's, you know, the classic method to prevent being stonified. 
wow i just i'm blown away by the kinds of lore that we end up getting when people can just make shit up willy-nilly yeah and it's no surprise because pliny started it way back in what year three and you got to keep in mind this is before streaming somebody had to make up stories (laughs) correct okay so we need to use some of these elements that we've found you know we've got the stone man disease we've got uh snake bites venom uh anti-venom ways of staving off the progression and again progression of being frozen into stone so there's so much to work with here that i think we need to apply it to our horror structure and gain us some sweet sweet stories and something better than a save or suck one-shot encounter and we'll do that in lamash 2's breeding pit this is lamash 2's breeding pit where the most vile and deadly of creatures are birthed and unleashed upon doomed adventurers. So we need a rough story. And to do that, we're going to go through a you know general premise using our simple story structure template, which is available on our website. You can go and find it at hookandchance.com. So the premise of the story that we can use for a short adventure is that a group of basilisk slayers have been planting a dead animal in the town's water source every couple years because they know they'll get hired to go kill it, which will result in a nice financial reward. Except this time, it's real. I love this premise because grifters going from town to town and all they got to do is drop a dead animal (laughs) down a well. People get a little sick. One of them's got a bag of chickens. (laughs) (laughs) A bag of bald chickens. So in the simple story structure, we're going to start with a current stage. So a sleepy town with a few problems. You know, things are starting to crop up for them. And then we intro those basilisk slayers. The hook, which is going to be finding the source of the sickness and needing to stop it. Mayor says it's worse than ever before and insists that the party goes with the Slayers. Yeah, just for like a little extra backup. And then we're going to kick the whole thing off when they find evidence that it's causing serious health problems. We give them a ticking clock with somebody that is currently afflicted with something that maybe the Basilisk Slayers are a little unfamiliar with. They were used to the just like the standard botulism, but this is actually hurting people. <laughs> this is something they haven't seen before, but they're not willing to give up the facade. Then the challenge, which is getting into the well or finding another route to the undercroft of the castle where the town's water source comes from, their well. Love it. We hit them with a choice. The party learns about the basilisk hunter's con and has to choose what do they do with those stupid basilisk frauds <laughs> do they have them still tag along do they bring them back to town and do it all themselves kick their asses leave them for dead murder hobo the entire group of them lots of options then we got to make them suffer a little bit so at the well things kick off and chaos ensues we're gonna throw a lot at the party and then the big climax is the basilisk reveal a uh, true combat ensues And finally, the aftermath, back to town. What did they do? How's that going to affect them? Did they help the Slayers survive? They got new friends. Did they expose their lies? New enemies. Did they kill all of the offspring of the Basilisk? Might have a sequel. 
Right, with all those eggs, those leathery eggs. So as we tend to do in Lamashto's Breeding Pit, we're also going to use the Horror Guide reference. And this is a horror guide that will help you lay out elements to show or mention to your party as they progress through the story that helps build tension, true horror tension, which is oh so tricky to do sometimes in RPGs. It starts with comfort, where you want to establish normal and emphasize the horror that's going to come later. Then you get into unease, which is to show something's not quite right. Then dread, where you want to start building that tension. And then terror, to make them feel like it's just around the corner. Then you want to ricochet between dread and terror a few times, which just builds more tension before you finally break it and land at horror, which is the reveal of the monster. Right. So now that we have our general story premise, let's jump into comfort. How do we give the players a feeling of comfort that eventually will help us emphasize how horrible everything has become? Well, you start with a cozy little town and think of maybe there's a sporting or fighting event to contrast the physical restrictions that everyone's going to experience later on. Right. I'm thinking to foreshadow the fact that the Slayers maybe is a smaller group than before. Some folks in town went to the much bigger sporting event, Two Weeks Ride South. But this one's still fun, the town insists. Here's a little detail I'd throw in here too. Some kids playing hide and seek that maybe even invite the party to a round. Because I think you could do something with a mechanic for looking for something hidden. Ooh, yeah. That we can use later on when they're looking for the eggs or the offspring of the basilisk. Well, and if we want the players to give a shit about the kids when they go missing... They need to interact with them before anything bad happens to them. Totally. Make them care about the town. Okay, so then we need to get into unease. We need to put our players a little bit on edge, signal that something's not quite right. And I think some of the things that we can dive into is just have like any NPCs that they meet while they're in town, you know, complain of cramps or like joint pain or something like that. They're getting like low level poisoned by an actual basilisk. Yeah. My bones are acting up. (laughs) And, you know, maybe you just sprinkle in that there's a couple missing people. Right. Since they've arrived in town, they can experience some challenges in their joints. Ooh. You know, you're feeling a little achy. Definitely want to figure out the source of that. Was it the bender you did last night? (laughs) Maybe it's a monster. Arrival into a new town always requires (laughs) going to the tavern and getting shit-faced. Which is the GM, you're always just thinking, at least they're not murdering everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Then we get into dread. So this is where it really starts to get fun. We want to pepper some stuff in. The first thing that jumps to my mind is we need to find somebody actually dead. And I'm thinking players get invited to help with an autopsy or something like that to say, hey, Um, You guys are famous adventurers. Can you give your professional opinion? They find that somebody died of like a a stone heart, like Mm. from the inside out, things are starting to turn to stone. But I think that, you know, that body is going to be a right place for descriptions. Like the body's hardened. It's got bluish gray skin, right? Immovable joints, bulging eyes, kind of all that stuff we heard in the lore. Yes. Maybe even some scars around the face little poison in the eyes. Yep, I'm digging it. This is where the party needs to hear about the basilisk. Like, there's a rumor that's spreading around town quickly that it is, in fact, a basilisk. 
Yeah, I mean, this is where that group of Basil's countries steps into the story. And it's revealed that they're a little shorthanded as some of their folks traveled south. Well, and I also like the idea of that that mayor just being like, I want to make sure because this is worse than anything we've experienced before. Like we get sick sometimes, like feverish, because, of course, the basilisk countries are dumping dead animals (laughs) in the well. It's not it's never been an actual basilisk. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the mayor's like, hey, we really need to solve a problem. I've never seen a stone heart before. (laughs) This is a bad batch. Yeah, this is really that hiring for the quest, right? Yeah. Town offers a meaningful reward. You know, another thing that we can do with the dread stage is we can now mention that maybe the kids in town have gone missing. They were playing hide and seek too good. <laughs> nice. Where do you think they went? Well, they were probably <laughs> around that scary mansion. They were either trying to look for it or <laughs> they were playing hide and seek yeah let's play that fun game where we look for a horrifying monster clown (laughs) such a common game with young children (laughs) idiots and i think at this point you could have superstitious town folk start bringing the mirrors (laughs) they're gonna ward off those evil irays right yeah start getting the players thinking like they are up against something that they really that could be dangerous like they the meta is is that they know how dangerous a basilisk can be yeah yet they're being hired to go and hunt one and i I just like the idea of peppering in these stories that the basilisk hunters have spread right that wearing mirrors on your armor is going to do something (laughs) yes it's layers upon layers of ridiculous shit (laughs) you know this has nothing to do with the buildup of terror I would be really curious to find out how many really fucking dumb things I could get the players to buy into. <laughs> Equip yeah. themselves with. <laughs> I want them all looking like that ridiculous goon right? that got sent into the basement, just heavily laden down with all kinds of folk remedies. Yeah. They're just clanging with mirrors. <laughs> they they're wielding a rake instead of their swords. <laughs> oh man, that would be a ton of fun. <laughs> How else can we establish some dread? Well, I like the idea of of once the party starts moving with these basilisk hunters, the hunters kind of start talking amongst themselves and revealing their scheme. So they're like, hey, hey, Larry, did you put the chicken in this time? Yeah. No, I didn't. Did you? No. Nobody. Wait. One of you put it in. One of you put the chicken in the well. Right, because we need those basilisk hunters. If they're traveling with the party, they can be the conduit to start imparting a lot of dread. Like, they know that they that something's not okay. This is not their usual grift. Like, they need to start panicking. <laughs> right. I like the idea that they've got this. They're refusing to acknowledge that it's not their regular grift because they would be terrified if they did. So they're kind of holding it back still until things go really wrong. Okay. It's like they're lying to themselves. Right. Like, this is fine. This is fine. We've done this. At this stage, we are starting to see like some of the challenges and, you know, we can kind of probably even dip into some of the suffering that's happening here. So I'm thinking we need to really give them something to fear and they need to find somebody that's been deeply affected by the basilisk maybe not the kids because that's 
That's truly horrific. Travis, you sicko. I'm just thinking like some random townsperson that was, I don't know, doing maintenance on the Undercroft. But now we can start showing them frozen people yeah. that are dying in agonizing positions. I like the concept of somebody that's still clinging on and it's that whole scene where you run up and, and they only have a few words left they can Horrible. speak. Their breathing is shallow because their yeah. whole chest is freezing up. Most of their face is completely paralyzed and yeah. kind of stone to the touch. And like only part of it is actually, oh, oh no. I can't <laughs> believe this just popped into my head. But one eye moves and the other one Ooh, doesn't. Yep, there you go. They whisper one little clue. Yeah, I dig it. All right, so then we ramp up to terror. And I got a pitch for you. Everybody goes into the Undercroft where the well is. One of the hunters, still very much in denial, takes their torch and walks up to the well, looking down, trying to spot the dead animal. This is where they get got. Something hits their face and they start screaming. Yes. Standing upright, they stumble over the well's edge. The screaming is cut short instantly as the sound of stones and bones cracking echoes through the entire undercroft that's terrible that is perfect that's exactly what we need (laughs) in the terror stage and of course there's big cracks in the well walls allowing the basilisk to slip away a different direction if anyone else wants to go up and be the hero and i love that because like i really am curious at this point which of the players asks to say go into turns or go into rounds and try to like intervene there or what they want to respond with because i as a gm I'm going to describe this starting to happen. And the first player that wants to step in, like I'll let them step in, but I'm really curious if they'll just stand there and watch this person get munched and dragged (laughs) into the well. Yeah. And I think it's one of those, if they want to intercede, I might even make them do a a check of some kind. Right. To see if they're fast enough. Cause this is happening lightning quick. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So do they run up and take a look at what just got this person? Like, are they brave enough to do so knowing (laughs) that there is likely a basilisk and what the basilisk does with its petrifying gaze? Yeah, exactly. So then I'm seeing full-blown panic from the other hunters. They're completely untested. They're trying to escape. They're dropping torches. They're yelling. They're running into corners. I, I really want to create an atmosphere here that's easy for the basilisk to take advantage of as it's crawling around the room and hiding in the shadows and well and one of the reasons why we have these basilisk hunters is as basilisk fodder yeah we can show our party what happens we can amp up tension without actually having to take out one of our party members we can have people fall to the basilisk and it's incredibly challenging brutal abilities Right, like, and you're seeing all the different ways that people can go down. They're getting torn in half in one corner, and and then somebody runs over to a dark corner, and you chase after them, and they're completely stoned. And right, so good. Of course, you gotta drop in more details into this terror section, like hearing the echo of that awful hiss that a cobra makes. Now, if you've never heard this, dear listener, uh, just check it out on YouTube, and it's just something. The deep, deep down in your human soul, you know, is not an okay fucking sound. It is terrifying. It disturbs me on a cellular level to hear a cobra's hiss. So 
if you can, like this is where you queue up that YouTube video on your phone on the side as a GM and then you hit play. Yeah. And you make sure that it's on the loudspeakers. <laughs> Blast them. <laughs> and this is where you can introduce the eggs, segments of wall that look pockmarked. When examined a little closer, end up being a collection of hatched eggs oozing with the poisonous spit that the offspring used to break free. See, I love this because then now the party's going to panic. Where are all of the offspring? <laughs> like now we throw into rounds and we get into some wild shit. And if you did that game with the kids earlier of finding the kids, now you can play whack-a-mole with the offspring. Right, because they're going for the kids. We're, we got to protect the kids. We've got a really dynamic combat because not only do we have to protect ourselves, we've got to kill the basilisk. We've got some free radicals running around in in the form of these uh, basilisk hunters that are now just fodder. And then we've got to try and save those kids. So like, there's so much. This is such a complex, crazy ass fight. And it really complicates it when you have, you know, the appropriate character at this point has heard the legends that there's two ways to halt the effects of a basilisk. You got the slow it down method, which is making that quick tonic that includes blood from the freshly attacked, or you stop it, which is where you make a more involved cure from the venom of young basilisks. So they know that they got to start collecting basilisk young while they're fighting the adults if they want the people in town to be cured. What an absolute shit show. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And then obviously we've got the horror stage. And this is where we really have to focus on showing off that basilisk, the big reveal. Like they haven't seen it quite yet. Um, you know, we're into rounds. There's all kinds of crazy shit happening. But yeah, maybe it hasn't actually appeared. They've seen young basilisks. Um, or maybe part of the horror is that it's revealed that there's actually two basilisks. There's a mated pair. Yes, because you always want to be springing surprises on your party. And I think the best time to do this is kind of once the, they seem to have found an equilibrium in all the chaos, that's when you spring the basilisk. Right. Where it rears up from out of a hiding place. It stands on its hind legs as big as a grizzly. It spreads its arms wide, unfurling its cobra hood that encompasses its entire frame. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Maybe imposing some kind of a negative on the accuracy of those first attacks against it, just so they don't, you know, wipe it out immediately. Right. Which is all, of course, a distraction for the mated basilisk to strike them from behind. Chaos ensues. Combat time. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think there's a lot that we can do with this. And we hope that it fuels your next basilisk or basilisk adjacent monsters in your game. So many adjacent basilisk monsters. Yeah. You know, from medusas to cockatrices to all kinds of... But I mean, the same steps pretty much apply. You could probably use this exact same storyline in any number of different monster kind of yeah. infestations in the town well. A tweak or two to whatever monster you're running, and then I think it's pretty solid. Yeah, and all we did was we used the horror steps that are available on our website, plus the simple story structure that will also be available on our website. So And yeah. some inspiration from reality, and of course fake legends <laughs> i guess now to fulfill our promise we'll reveal which of the reasons we are taking a break <laughs> if it wasn't clear it's not the first two right right but now that that's out uh we're gonna be back april 3rd 
just as a reminder with new episodes after this break. Yeah, if you want a reminder to join us when we come back, you know, a lot of the background development we're going to be working on, you know, if you want any of that stuff, uh, join us on Discord. We're going to be catching up on some of the PDF templates and resources on our site because they've gotten a little bit different in style and methodology. <laughs> so we're going to yeah. try to... I got better at making them, okay? <laughs> I don't do anything, Travis. So you get all the credit for any of the work that's been done. I do not throw any shade. But we do have... You're right. Like I've learned how to do form-fillable PDFs a lot better. And so a lot of these structures that we've talked about are getting a bit of a revamp. Um, they're more user-friendly and like you say, they've got a better style now. You'll just be able to find them all real easy. But I need to catch up. It's so much work. <laughs> and we're going to come back with more structured season. So, so far, we've just been doing one episode after the other. No real rhyme or reason to our topics and subjects. Over 150 of them <laughs> that really don't, like they've just slid from one into the next with no real through line other than, <laughs> fuck it, what do we want to do this week? That was our learning era, and now we're going into our seasons era. Right. We're going to be also making some improvements to the sound and intros. And then we've also, you know, fingers crossed, we've submitted ourselves for nomination consideration for the Ennies. Think they're going to hear us if we whisper? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we whispering? So if we're nominated, which is a big, a big if. We'll also be asking for your help. You know, once the nominations are announced, if we're among those nominations, then it's a vote off. It's a popularity contest. And so we're going to be asking every single person that listens to this podcast to help us out because we are up against some tremendous some, podcasts, some, some really good yeah. ones. It's going to be tough. And we're going to be refining our processes. It's a lot of maintenance stuff to help us produce an episode. Right now, it takes us anywhere from 20 to 25 hours to make one, which you might be listening and saying, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Not much to show for those 25 hours. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, we want to improve those processes so we can use that time that we save on more templates and more future projects that are going to help your games in different ways. We got a lot of really cool stuff that we want to cook up for you, but it just takes time. And you may have heard us mention this a couple times. We, we've attempted this in tiny bits before, but we're just going to get it done. <laughs> no more dicking around. Yeah. And the result of all this is going to be episodes that are more dense with inspiration for your games. And leaning into some of our strengths and the violent murder of the stuff that doesn't help you, the listener. So if you ever come across bits that you're like, I wish they would skip this, hopefully those won't be in our future episodes. <laughs> well, there's an opportunity for you to come join our Discord and get some of those opinions in the mix. We'll, of course, be leaning heavily on our producers during our downtime. And of course, by producers, we're referring to our deeply treasured, wonderful patrons who support the show and guide its production. Those brilliant, intelligent, and dare I say sexy. You dare patrons. not. I don't <laughs> think so. Patrons like Alex R., Steve A., Sigma, Kaleidoscope, Skylar E., Deadman, Ninja Ducky, Sue Art, Blackthorn, First Law, Peacock Dreams, DM Thunderbum, Marley R, Time Warp, 
Dangerous Marmalade. Zach G. No Ma'am. Michelle T. Alvarius. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Nevermore. Thomas W. DM Natsuki. Heavy Arms. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode. We really hope you don't mind the downtime while we take a step back for a little bit, but we'll be back stronger than ever. Make sure you let us know what you're doing in your games. Give us some good ideas during the downtime. Come to Discord, share your thoughts, give feedback on other people's games, get feedback on yours. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and Reddit. Big thanks, as always, to Tabletop Audio for all the sound effects you heard in this episode. Thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening, and show some love to Featherless Chickens. They committed no crime.